Okie dokie, oh. a podcast for those addicted to the study of scripture. Welcome fellow addicts, this is your safe place to OD. Here I am. What are we going to talk about today? Today we are talking about the Gospels. This is Gospels part 46. Last week we introduced Jesus' discourse on parables and started to address this misconception that Jesus' parables actually weren't something to confuse and to confound the people, but they were actually meant to enlighten and bring clarity to the secrets about the kingdom and yeah. the God of Israel. And we're going to continue that concept with more parables going forward. Yeah, and if you remember, we had talked about uh, to you it has been given to know, uh, but to them it has not been given. Uh, also that part about for the one who has more will be given, uh, the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And then we even went back to Isaiah and and read from Isaiah 6, 9, and 10. And all of those together, it was it's very understandable when somebody walks away with this sense that God is trying to hide something or keep something or whatever. But here on the podcast, we were trying to say, no, 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 that's not true. That's a misunderstanding. So I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 13, verses 15 to 17. And then I think we might even dive in a little bit, look at Isaiah 6 a little closer. Ready, Samuel? Oh, yeah. Here it goes. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see and your ears, for they hear. For truly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Okay, now remember, we've broken off here in the middle of the quotation. Remember, he had started before with the from Isaiah, you will indeed hear but never understand, you will indeed see but never perceive, and in this one, we're picking up with the rest of it, for this people's heart has grown dull. Now, what I'd like to do is go back and take a peek at Isaiah, and uh, we're going to do something different, Samuel. I want you to look at this very first one. This is going to be what you would typically find in your normal English translations. It's from the Old Testament. It's based on the original Hebrew text, so lay that one on me. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, and their ears heavy, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Now I'm guessing you could hear that. It actually, you know, kind of sounded mean, maybe, Um, like God really didn't want them to hear what he was saying. Mm -hmm. But now what we want to do, we want to go and we're going to read the same passage again, except this time it's going to be from the Septuagint. Now, just as uh, some info or a reminder, the Septuagint was, I don't know, a couple, 300 years before Jesus, and they had taken that original Hebrew text and 
actually translated it into Greek. Now, of course, we're reading the English from that Greek, but you're going to hear the difference in these two. So, Samuel, go ahead and read that one. Ye shall hear indeed, but ye shall not understand. And ye shall see indeed, but ye shall not perceive. For the heart of this people has become gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have they closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and be converted, and I should heal them. Now, did you hear the difference, Samuel? Yeah. The second one kind of is just stating their condition, like their current standing rather than like a proclamation of go and make this their reality. Yeah, it sounds a lot more like, hey, this is your fault. Their eyes have they closed, right? They're not listening. And so what's interesting about this is what Matthew quotes, when you compare Matthew's with either the Hebrew, like Old Testament version versus the Septuagint version, the Greek, Matthew matches the Septuagint almost perfectly. And so, the context here, why is Jesus speaking in parables? Well, because that generation that Jesus was talking to, their eyes have they closed. They weren't listening. They were in danger of being just like the generation back in Isaiah's day. So, as Matthew writes it, Jesus is quoting from Isaiah. But, as you can see, even in all three Gospels, there's a much better connection to the Septuagint version and its meaning, and I would even suggest Isaiah's meaning, but, but it's why will they not see or why will they not perceive? Why do they not hear? Why do they not understand? It's because their heart has grown dull. They can barely hear. They've closed their eyes so that they can't see or hear, or understand, or turn, if only they would see and hear and turn, Jesus, or God, back in Isaiah, would heal them. But they won't. So, Jesus is using the parables to try to sneak, you know, around, or through, or over, or under the barrier that they have put up. Now, could could you also say, because I know that you said their heart has grown dull, they can barely hear, they have closed their eyes, almost like there's some aspect of them choosing that, but could we also say that there could be some within the crowds that they're dull, they can't hear, their eyes are closed because of them being conditioned by what the Jewish leadership has been teaching them potentially incorrectly that Jesus is critiquing? Oh yeah, totally fair. Totally fair way to look at it, and not... You know, not just for them and their generation. Honestly, this reminds me of the church in America today. Hmm. In some sense, they have been conditioned. They've been made dull from all this conditioning. I would call it poor teaching from across decades or, or I don't know, maybe even we could say centuries. Mm -hmm. So, no doubt, Samuel, totally, totally valid point. All right, now here's the next thing. You could go into, I don't know, many, 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 many churches all across America, and you're going to find people who are teaching on the parables, and when they do, you're going to find them trying to, to unearth this, I don't know, deep, hidden, 
symbolic, secret meanings, you know, contained within the parables. And, uh, let's say this in a nice way, results may vary. Okay? But this is what's important. This is completely misunderstanding the genre. They're meant to bring clarity to a specific and usually single point. Now, does that mean that you can't ever find additional meaning? Well, no. And does that mean that if you find something extra and different that it's wrong or bad? Well, no. But just understand that you are outside the box of what a parable is supposed to be. And as long as you know that and recognize that and you know that you're outside that box, then it's going to work out much better. So here's a cool thing. We know uh, quite a bit about, you know, what they were thinking, feeling, understanding around Jesus's time. And this would be all of the other teachers and thinkers, everybody from, from that era. We know how it is they regarded parables, understood parables. And so here are a few examples. I want you to try to imagine, Samuel, a big thicket of reeds. Is that something you've ever seen, experienced, whatever? You know how to get through those? Pretty rough. Pretty rough. So difficult concepts in the scripture are those reeds, but the parable is like a scythe that cuts a path through those reeds. Now, Samuel, if somebody did that, would it be a lot easier to get through? I would think much better than I was beforehand. Exactly. Here's another one. Imagine you got a a basket, big basket filled with all kinds of stuff and uh, no handles. And somebody says, hey, why don't you pick that up and carry it on over to the house over the hill there? Yeah. It's not like you can't do it, but it's cumbersome. It's inconvenient. it's, It's harder. But the parables, they're said to be like handles on a large basket. All of a sudden, it's a lot easier to carry. Mm-hmm. Okay, this one's similar. You remember how they used to have those big water jars they would carry around, mm-hmm. right? Well, it's the same story. Imagine one of those without handles. It'd be big, cumbersome, hard to get around, whatever. But put handles on it, and, you know, parables are like sweet relief. How about this one? A deep well. You're up on the ground, you're looking way, way down there, there's that cool, clear, refreshing water, and you know you're thirsty, but that's it. You don't have any way to, to get the water. You, you can't satisfy your thirst. But parables are like the rope and the bucket for that well. You can go down and get that water. It's cool, it's refreshing, it's life-giving. You can reach the deep stuff. Okay, one more. I know, Samuel, that when you're just kind of walking around your house, you are always accidentally just losing or misplacing your gold. Am I right? Yeah. Checking your pockets. Hey, where'd my gold go? (laughs) But imagine something as insignificant as, well, they would say a lamp wick. Maybe for today, we could think of something like the light on your phone. Mm -hmm. Something that doesn't really seem to cost you anything, but that insignificant thing helps you find the gold. It's the thing that that helps you to find treasure. And that's a parable, helping you find treasure in a world of darkness. And more specifically, understand difficult concepts from the scriptures. That's cool. Yeah, and this is how you should view the parables. Jesus wasn't trying to conceal anything. He was trying to bring things into the light through the parables. 
Okay, real quick, uh, but blessed are your eyes. So, we've talked about how the people, like in Isaiah 6, uh, they were generally hindered by a spiritual deafness and blindness. And Jesus' disciples, and especially the apostles... (laughs) Sounds like a superhero group. Yeah, right. So, especially the apostles were not hindered because they had truly seen and heard. Uh, At least, maybe to be fair, they weren't hindered as dramatically. But why? Because they'd already truly seen and heard. They had truly repented. Their lives were bearing the fruit of that repentance. And so, it was easier for them to hear and accept, etc. And finally, we get that bit about many had longed to see it but never saw. Okay, so all in Israel's history, many, many, many had longed to see the promises fulfilled, but they didn't get to see it. But here we are. We've got the advent of God's Messiah. We've got the kingdom of God being established on the earth. Those guys never got to see that. Jesus' disciples, they're right in the middle of it. It's all going on. I mean, they're with God's Messiah. They are experiencing the kingdom, now, though it hasn't yet come in its fullness, but they're experiencing it. All these promises are being fulfilled right before their very eyes. That's a big deal. So, if at this point you are not convinced that Jesus was telling the parables to try to get things through, make things clearer, I don't know how to make that any clearer for you. I guess if I had a parable, I could try that on you. (laughs) To what might it be compared? That's right. To what might a parable be compared? Oh, that is classic right there. So, next section. Let's keep rolling. All right. This next bit is a fairly large chunk. We're reading from Matthew chapter 13, verses 18 to 23, Mark chapter 4, verses 13 to 20, and Luke chapter 8, verses 11 to 15. And uh, I think I'm going to read from Matthew. So here we go. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. And for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and another thirty. Okay, so first off, you know how we just read the little bit about how they were in private, took them off to the side, whatever, and they're like, hey, Jesus, why are you always speaking to them in parables? Okay, so we get here, when he's doing this interpretation, the question, are they still? In private, are they off by themselves? Is Jesus telling them the interpretation, or is it actually back with the whole crowd, whatever? You know, we can't really tell. We just, we don't know, from the text, anyway. I kind of like imagining it, 
both ways, but I just don't know what's right. But here's Jesus. He's offering an interpretation of this one parable. And, you know, in a way, this can kind of act as a guide to interpreting the other parables. I mean, you could even think of it sort of like a Rosetta Stone, something like that. If you can see and understand how he is interpreting one, it's going to help you to interpret the others. Now, again, we don't know who he's really talking to, crowds, disciples, both, whatever. We don't know. And as we continue, you'll see in the following verses, it's going to become more and more obvious that we're back to the crowds, but you just don't get that explicit, hey, here's what's happening now. But either way, I don't know what's happening with them. For us, this is super, super helpful today. An interesting little bit in Mark's version, Jesus seems a little shocked that his disciples, well, let's just say his disciples, don't get the parable without help. He seems to think that they should not have needed help. And again, not sure, disciples, crowd, whatever. But the the point is, how are they going to understand them all if they don't get this one? But then Jesus kind of answers by uh, doing the interpretation, letting them see how it's done. And Samuel, hey, you know what? I want to take a second. I just want to acknowledge the influence. You've heard us talk about this guy before, Daniel Lancaster. Uh, if you were looking it up, you'd probably look for D. Thomas Lancaster. That's usually what he writes under. But anyway, this guy, um, he's been a big influence on me. The way that he is able to see things in the scriptures, in the things like parables, stuff like that. I mean, uh, sure, he's not perfect or whatever, but he has a really cool insight, and it's definitely affected the way that I see the parables. So if you were to read his material, listen to our podcast, okay, you're going to get a lot of crossover, a lot of matching, stuff like that. And I just want to say, you know what, he's, he's an awesome guy, and he would be one that you should add into your uh, group of materials or people that you read. He's just awesome. Yeah, we would love to interview him one day as an aside. (laughs) If he just happens to be listening to this episode, (laughs) highly cordially invited. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Yeah. But anyway, let's start looking at the components of this parable. We know we got a lot of things. There's the sower and the seed and the soils and all this stuff. So let's try to get the, the foundational one right off the top. Samuel, who is the sower? Well, I, I don't know because I've been <laughs> I've heard different things growing up. Oh, all right. I've heard I've heard we we are the sower, but then I've also heard in FFOZ stuff that Jesus, you know, Messiah is the sower. Yeah. Okay. So let's let's remember this is a parable. We didn't quite know it in the text when he was speaking the parable, but when he explained it, we know that it's about the kingdom. So, who is sowing the seed of the kingdom? Well, that would be Messiah. And then he's sowing seed. Samuel, you got a guess on that one? Uh, repent, because the kingdom is at hand? Yeah, it's that message of the kingdom. Uh, the gospel, which you mentioned, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, but, but, you know, more than that, it's also, well... What is this kingdom? What does it look like? Or or how might I enter it? You know, things like that nature. And that's going to go on and on to even more generally, like just God's message, his his goodwill, his, his will given to mankind. 
Okay, now on to the soils. The first one is the path. Ah, this is getting good. Uh, This is probably that moment where people are going to have their huh kind of moment, right? Mm -hmm. But listen to what I'm saying. The path represents a disciple. Yeah. I know that's not the way you're used to maybe hearing it or thinking of it or whatever, but that's what it is. Listen to what they say in, in the explanation. This is supposedly Jesus talking. They hear the word of the kingdom. It was sown in their heart. Now, ultimately, they, they, they don't really get it. They, it's like they have an initial response. And, and let's just say it's real. But they have nothing to anchor them. There's no understanding or repentance or good deeds, whatever, whatever. And so the birds steal what has been sown in them. And then, of course, that's the birds are Satan. In the end, they're unable to walk in belief, faith, loyalty, whatever. They're unable to enjoy that salvation. So the path, a disciple, he has a real initial response, but it comes to nothing. Then the rocky ground, well, this is, again, a disciple who actually begins to walk in repentance. So so they're going to actually have a real taste of the kingdom, of the joy of the kingdom. And the thing is, they mean well, but they just don't have that root in themselves. There's no real loyalty. They're probably kind of just hanging on other people's coattails or whatever, Uh, So they're okay for a while, but any trials, any tribulations come, well, they quickly fall away. You know, kind of the the point is other people can't do this whole Christianity thing for you. That's the rocky ground. And then you have among thorns. Now this, again, it's a disciple who starts well. There's real repentance. In fact, they even overcome some trials and some tribulations. That's to say, they actually do have a root within themselves, but they fail to make the kingdom the number one priority in their life. And because of this, other priorities begin to sneak in. You you know what this is like. They sneak in and they crowd out God. They crowd out the kingdom. And eventually, they end up consumed with their own life rather than eternal life. And then finally, the good soil, one final disciple. This is one who he hears it, he understands it, he obeys it, he is faithful, he perseveres through all things, and he elevates God and kingdom above everything else in his life. His life is a life of consistent obedience to God's will above his own. And and we see the fruit of that. I mean, that that's the point. There is fruit. And what is that fruit? Well, it's not converts. It's, it's repentance. It's good deeds. It's acts of righteousness. So, here we see all four soils represent a disciple. And I know this is probably sounding a little weird to a lot of you who are listening because, well, let's just let's say it out loud. We know that in life there are those who simply aren't going to respond at all to any sort of message about Jesus or the kingdom. They're not going to hear it. It's not going to be sown in their heart. They are simply not one of the four soils. I guess you could say they're not a soil at all. They're, I don't know, concrete or something, whatever. I don't know. Okay, so again, all four, 
the path, the rocky ground, the thorns, the good soil, they all represent disciples. And, okay, we're going to look at numbers. Don't take this all too literally or whatever, but just just go along with the story of the parable. All of them, whether real, self-proclaimed, whatever you want to call it, they... There's a bunch of them that fall away. Samuel, what are the numbers? How many of the people who think they're disciples fall away? Let's see. You've got, yeah, so one out of four, so 75% fall away. Yeah. Now, uh, I'm not trying to, you know, directly into enter into a big debate on eternal security or anything like that, but I just... I, this seems really important. We shouldn't just gloss over it or just do a quick drive-by. It's important to note what is going on in this parable. So, what do we do with all this? Of course, we all want to be that good soil. But if we understand the parable, we have to recognize what that actually means, what it's going to cost us. It's going to cost our entire lives. It's kind of like, you know, I got those pet phrases that I use. Salvation, it's the free gift that only costs your whole life. Mm-hmm. So, there's the explanation of the parable, and I'm just guessing that I have actually colored outside the lines for some people. So, Samuel, got anything? Well, I guess I just want to ask for most people, traditionally, when they hear this parable what is the common way of interpreting the four types of soil? If it's if if it's not a, a right. certain type of disciple, then what is being taught to them? Okay, let me see if I can clarify that. As I observe evangelism, at least what you see in America, etc., uh, what you will see is that evangelism is more focused on converts than disciples. Therefore, when you look at a parable like this, when you say, you know, you've got the the path and the rocky soil and the thorns, well, those are people that, you know, they look like they were accepting, you know, the whole, th- but, but then it wasn't real. It's only those who are the good soil. Those are the true converts. And that then stretches out to, well, what is the fruit that we're talking about? And they plug in the same thing. Oh, well, the fruit is the converts. You got to get a lot of people to convert, to to join the kingdom, whatever. That's the way they see it. So it's it doesn't really think about discipleship, and it misses out mm-hmm. on the whole aspect of repentance, good deeds, etc. Think that as far as my brain can remember, one of our former podcast interviewers, Marty Solomon, he has an episode like dedicated to the four types of soils, and he also is in the same camp as us as like he teaches it and then he asks you as the listener and Jesus like in this case to those listening in this present time it's kind of like Jesus is saying like what type of soil are you now what type of disciple are you now and how can you change that oh Uh, yeah link that in the show notes it's really good and it just continues that conversation of Jesus probing and pushing the people hearing this kingdom message. Yeah. See, the the thing that's so important, we've always got to keep this as our foundation. Jesus, through the parables, is trying to help his listeners understand what the kingdom is, what it is like. In this case, what the citizens of the kingdom look like. 
We've just got to keep that as our foundation as we try to listen to and understand these parables. Okay, well, let's move on to the next bit. Uh, You know, some people kind of look at this as a parable, others not so much. It's definitely uh, a continuation of thought, sort of. I mean, it's definitely about teaching the kingdom and and that kind of thing. We are looking at Mark chapter 4, verses 21 to 25, Luke chapter 8, verses 16 to 18. Luke says this, No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care, then, how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. And interestingly, Mark adds this other little bit in the middle of his. It says this in verse 24. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added to you. That's a little odd, right? Mm -hmm. So what is this little section? What are we talking about? What's it doing here? Uh, maybe just we should remember for a moment, you know, it's still a little vague exactly who Jesus is talking to. Is he is he alone with his disciples? Are we talking to the crowds? We, we still don't know for sure, for sure. And, uh, you know, what he's saying here, I guess it could stand as some sort of valid response to a, a few different things. Uh, maybe like why parables or, you know, just the general question people might have. Why are you telling us this? Uh, or, or maybe the idea of what do we even do with this stuff that you're teaching us? So let's just kind of look at the easy stuff, you know, call it the practical imagery or whatever. Samuel, this is simple. You don't light a light and then cover it up. Does that seem reasonable? Yeah, well, and even logically, if you cover up a light, you're going to smother it. Yeah, it just seems silly. If you are going to light a light and then just cover it up, why light it in the first place? And the other thing that's being said here is you light a light because it helps you and others see clearly. See how that relates to parables? Mm -hmm. So what Jesus is doing is overlaying this common, ordinary image, easy to understand, right over the top of his teaching about the kingdom. And, And this is to say that Jesus's teaching of the kingdom is not to remain hidden or to remain a secret. Just like light, if you were to light a light, it's to be the center of everything, so that everybody can see clearly. And and Jesus is talking to Jews, but we're talking the whole world here. Then Mark adds this interesting little bit, yeah, the, the bit about uh, the measure you use, it'll be measured to you, still more will be added. Now, we've already seen this measure-for-measure measure principle. Uh, we talked about it uh, with forgiveness, judgment, uh, whatever. But now here it's being used in connection with understanding and obedience. Uh, pay attention to what you hear. And uh, I, I know we've mentioned this before, you know, God's sense of fairness, it always actually is slightly skewed, right, to, 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 to our benefit, If you truly seek and gain understanding, if you walk out that understanding and obedience, 
still more will be added to you. So, you'd better be paying attention. To him who has ears, let him hear. And of course, the flip side, additionally, what others may gain uh, with little or no effort, the the little bit that they get, well, guess what? Ultimately, that's just going to slip through their fingers. Another interesting little bit, Mark and Luke Luke both add in this uh, little bit about to the one who has more, more will be given, uh, which is interesting because Matthew kind of slipped that in on us earlier. But the question is, more what? And now once we've we've read through, we get down here, we see it's more understanding of Jesus' teaching of the kingdom. And it isn't just the hearing and the understanding, it's also the accompanying walk of faith, the obedience that goes with it. And then Luke does this crazy thing. He adds this part, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Well, who's he talking about? He's talking about to the one who has not. Luke's wording is pretty crafty here, right? When you when you have not, you really only think that you have something. And of course, logically, if you have not, is there even anything to be taken away? Oh man, this is like brain swelling a little bit here. It's that's some tough stuff to think about. I mean, it's not as straightforward with when you read it at first glance. Yeah, it's uh and and that's the beauty of the four different gospels and different writers and the way they communicate things or whatever. But it's uh it's just such a well, it, it sheds such a different light on to him who has, he'll have more, and the one who doesn't have, it'll be taken away from him. You know, we we use that for so many things when we're just, you know, talking to each other in our Christianese and all that. But here, it's about the teaching, it's about the understanding, it's about that that grasping of the kingdom message and the kingdom itself, all of that. So, yeah, it's a crazy concept. Love it. See, the, the simple takeaway is... Seek light. Seek an understanding of the kingdom and walk in that light. You know, be obedient. Experience the kingdom in that obedience and freely share it with all. Yeah, and that sounds just like the writer of Proverbs. Like he says it in chapter four, like get wisdom, get understanding. They're saying the exact same thing. That's in Proverbs 4, 5 through 9. I think I mentioned that in previous episodes, but the theme still stands. Yeah. Yeah. All right. You ready to move on to the next bit? Yeah, for sure. All right. He's going to give us another parable. So we're still in Matthew now, chapter 13. This is going to go from verse 24 all the way through 30. So it says this. He put another parable before them, saying... The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds also appeared. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, 
An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Okay. Now, uh, for what it's worth, I mean, I guess you can take this any way you want. It, it kind of seems like he's back with the crowds, right? I mean, he wouldn't still just be off on the side with the disciples. got to be with the because he's telling all these parables. It never really tells us that, but by now, certainly. And then, I, I guess, okay, Jesus is also going to explain this one later. And so, just like we did before, we're going to save the explanation uh, until later. But... Let's talk about a few things. It's still important here. So first he says, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to. Now, you got you to hear that. This parable is painting an image of the kingdom. And it's our job to figure out, okay, well, what is that image? What is it? And this is such an important image. You know how, Samuel, we've talked a number of times about this idea of the now and the not yet? Mm-hmm. This parable is showing us that. See, the kingdom is now, not in its fullness. We are expecting an actual literal kingdom to come later. Some people don't. We do. But this kingdom now is filled with both wheat and weeds. And we see that it starts with immature plants and that the wheat and the weeds are nearly indistinguishable. But the kingdom is growing during this time. And so we understand that as time passes, the difference between the wheat and the weeds is going to become more and more pronounced. When they were just little seedlings or whatever, little tiny plants, they probably looked exactly the same. But once they grow up and they start producing grain... Uh Uh-oh, big difference. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's the kingdom is now, but the kingdom's also not yet. There will come a day when there will be a harvest. The weeds first, and they're to be burned in the fires of Gehenna. And then the wheat is gathered into the barn. And you might think of that as as we talked about, the literal kingdom that's going to be reigning from Jerusalem. So, The harvest is the time of the Christ's second coming, Jesus' second coming. It's the beginning of the kingdom. And and I'm saying that because, on one hand, is there an aspect in which you can sort of apply this to after the kingdom and the beginning of the the, the world to come and all that? Well, yeah, kind of, but these parables are about the kingdom. And so it's important that we don't confuse this with the end of the kingdom and, you know, the final judgment, the world to come, all that stuff. This is the beginning of the kingdom, that, like the, the fulfilled kingdom, the one that's literally on the earth. So, uh, th- so the kingdom's also not yet. Now, an interesting note, this is just for people who they just find tidbits interesting. Um, 
Many believe that this this weed that Jesus is talking about is darnel. Or darnel. Uh, <laughs> it's spelled darnel, but it's pronounced darnel. <laughs> More specifically, it's bearded darnel. Now, uh, when it's young, wheat and bearded darnel, they really do look very much alike. But as it grows, the two plants become much more obviously uh, different than one another. Uh, the darnel contains something, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right either. It's called temuline or temuline, temulin, something. I've heard it all three ways. It's a toxin that's actually within the plant. It's actually a, a kind of fungus, the way I understand it, within the plant. And kind of cool, it acts as a natural insecticide, which is great for the plant. Really bad for humans <laughs> and animals and insects, whatever, right? It could actually kill you, but it would actually take a lot. Normally, you're just going to get some really miserable symptoms. Um, <laughs> I thought this was a great list. Some of the things I found staggering, impaired speech, trembling, vision defects, stupefaction. Does that sound like anything else you've ever heard of, Samuel? Uh, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Sounds a lot like alcohol, right? It's crazy. What's funny is that, you know, how a lot of people, they're interested in natural remedies, stuff like that. Today, there are some people who actually use that bearded darnel as a sedative-like uh, substance. It's, uh, they use it to cure, well, I don't know if cure is the right word, treat insomnia, uh, blood congestion. I don't even know what that is. Different skin problems, stomach disorder, stuff like that. So they found some very good uses for it. And yet, uh, on the whole, I think people look at it as a, as a poison, right? We're certainly not recommending or endorsing it. So anyway, back in Jesus's day, another interesting point is if we're talking about the right weed and the right everything, whatever, this darnel was associated with evil and corruption and even sexual immorality. And so for the people who were there, who were hearing this parable, it was likely painting a vivid and clear image for the hearer. This is a great image, and it's caused me to think of a question that I hope doesn't open a can of worms, but I think that it's pertinent to this. Um, yeah. Especially in verses 28 and 29, um, with the the harvester saying an enemy has done this and his servant said then do you want us to go out and gather them and he said no lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them in my mind i'm thinking about that skeptic of god that is asking the question well why if if god is who he says he is then why is he allowing bad things to happen or why is he allowing evil to happen it, I, I know that you said and i think that it's so important not to take which part of the kingdom age is being referenced here, but is this now and not yet aspect a way that a follower, a disciple can respond to that particular skeptic to say, like, I have an answer that I, that has conviction in my life that I believe that there will be a day when God is going to respond to that. But especially like with verse 29, like, Maybe there's some mystery, like, 
in God interceding now, it affects the like the goodness those pursuing God's narrative here on earth now by him like stepping into the picture before the proper time, the appointed time, the Moad. So I don't know. I just wanted to bring that up to say, can we use this as a response? Well, sure. It, it See, these are, it's always that difficult thing, right? I mean, the, the difficult questions, why do bad things happen to good people, right? And we, sometimes the answer is as simple as, uh, hello, sin, right? Yeah, God could fix it. And the truth is, God is fixing it. But his way of going about it is just so difficult for us to grasp. And so when you look at an image like this, you know, you would think kind of like the first century Jews were thinking, God, come on, man, show up, be a king, rule, kick all these other guys out. Yeah, let's do it. And the point of these parables thus far has been the opposite of that. Jesus is trying to explain the kingdom isn't going to be that. And so you stand back and look at the big picture, and any normal person is going to look at that and think, what is God doing? Why does he go about, why does he go about things the way he goes about things? It's, it's mysterious to us. Sometimes it seems, in our human minds, bad or wrong or there's such a better way, right? But there's so much that we simply don't understand. And that's when it's always good to go back and read Job. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think your point is it's, it's very, very good. Very good. Sweet. All right. Uh, feel like some more parables? Oh, yeah. It's pretty much all I'll, we got in the menu, so we yeah, may as well keep I'll, going. I want to offer a challenge for our listeners for the next one. Have your thinking caps on. We've established in the last episode and this one what Jesus' agenda is with why he's given a parable. And, like, you can even pause, try to gather yourself before you listen to the next one that Jesus says in hopes to maybe get an idea of what the true meaning is before we're offering up our our interpretation of it. Yeah, good one, Samuel. And you can send your test results to... No, I'm kidding. Mark, uh, let's see, this is in Mark chapter 4, verses 26 to 29. It says this. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Now, let's just say this out loud. We have another parable, and it's also about the kingdom. (laughs) Surprise! This is going to be a recurring theme. Parable about the kingdom. So what's the basic practical story, right? On the surface here, it's like, well, okay, so you got some guy, he's planting some seed, and then there's all kinds of work or growth or whatever you want to call it that goes on, but it seems to happen on its own. And of course, we can kind of giggle at that because that's only seemingly, we know there's all kinds of stuff going on. But then the guy harvests the mature crop. 
Okay, we can all kind of get that in our heads, but this is supposed to be painting a picture of the kingdom. So let's kind of walk through the peace parts again, Samuel. So you got some guy scattering seed. This is a story about the kingdom. Who do you think that guy is, Samuel? If I'm using the foundation from the previous parable about the sower, then the man scattering has to be Jesus. Yeah. And what do you think this seed is? That's like the heart of what Jesus is saying the kingdom is. Yeah, it's the gospel, the message of the kingdom. And and I would even go a little further and point specifically to, you know what? We, we see he's trying to explain the now and the not yet. So this is that, that now kingdom. And so he's spreading all this seed all over the ground. So you might think of that as, I don't know, either the world or maybe more a little more specifically humanity itself, that kind of thing. But now here's the good one. What about all this, you know, sprouting and growing and stuff like that that's going on? What is that? That is the kingdom, the now kingdom, the one where we're getting a foretaste. What is the ripe grain then? Well, that is the fully grown crop of kingdom-ready disciples. They've been growing up trying to to mature in the kingdom, and eventually they become mature. And then there's this harvest. Well, that's the second coming, Jesus' second coming. It's the beginning of what we would think of as the literal kingdom or the not yet kingdom. So, again, this, I mean, it's kind of the same message. You've got all these little players, and it's all about the kingdom taking time, not this instant thing. So there's one interesting phrase, though. It says that the earth produces by itself. That could be taken a lot of different ways, but I'm going to go at it like this. Samuel, okay, when we think of something like, I don't know, uh, gravity or, I don't know, even the way like a little atomic particles interact with each other and all that kind of stuff— do we have a word for that scientific or a phrase, scientific kind of stuff that we refer to? Like their laws? Yeah, yeah. Like the law the law of gravity, the law of matter. Exactly. You got it. Yeah. So and and I mean, I don't know, we might think of them as natural laws. That would be physical laws, thank you very much. So, or something of that nature, right? And some people just say, well, it's just the natural course of things, stuff like that. Okay. What we as Christians should understand, I hope do understand, is that though we perceive it as something that's just kind of built into creation, it's just going to work no matter what, it's actually God's sustaining power at work in creation at all times. We think gravity works because, well, this spins and that does this and whatever, you know, that's just the way. And they're right. I mean, from a like a scientific perspective, I'm sure they're absolutely correct at how all that stuff's working. But we need to acknowledge that underneath or behind all of that, the reason that it all works the way it does and it's explainable the way it is and all that is because God's sustaining it. And so... The same way that that's going to happen in creation, we can understand the same thing happening 
in this ever-growing kingdom. So it says that the earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, and then the full grain of the ear. Okay, it isn't really. God is behind all of that. It looks like it just does it by itself, but, but God's behind it. And in the same way, the kingdom may appear to be sort of taking on a life of its own, moving on its own, whatever you want to call it, but God is behind that. And then it's also important to remember, okay, but doesn't the seed and the plant, and I mean, are they completely passive in this? Or is it, is it, could we look at it and in some way, can't we say that they're taking an active role? I mean, if a corn stalk didn't actually do its job and grow up to be corn, <laughs> right? Everybody would be shocked, right? I mean, there, there's kind of a way it's taking an active role. So in the same way, we have to remember that just like he's describing plants, if we are a part of the kingdom, we have an active role to play in that story. We, kind of like a plant, we have to actively work toward maturity. And in some way, help others to do it as well. Sort of, you know, the discipleship thing. Mm-hmm. We have to seek the kingdom, help others to do the same. That's good. I like it. All right. So uh, let's keep going because I think this is, uh, well, I think it's going to help. We'll, we'll fit one more in. Uh, we've got Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 and 32. Mark chapter 4, verses 30 through 32. And Luke chapter 13, verses 18 and 19. And I'll read from Mark. says this. And he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown in the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet, when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that The birds of the air can make nests in its shade. All right. So again, it's another parable. Guess what it's about? The kingdom. Kingdom. Surprise. And notice the little bits about with what can we compare to what shall I compare? It's, It's that common teaching parable style. Jesus didn't make it up. He's just doing what others had done. So let me ask you this, Sam. What is the common Jewish expectation and hope? We've already talked about it a bit. What do they think about this kingdom and Messiah and all this? What's their expectation? Uh, that the Messiah is going to rule and reign on the earth and that their enemies are going to be vanquished and that there's going to be peace and bountifulness on the land and exactly. prosperity with like everybody. Yeah, and they think, oh, if only the Messiah would show up, all of that would come to pass. That is their expectation. The thing is, they're absolutely right. They just kind of had the timing and sequence of events off a little bit. Jesus is continuing in these parables to try to explain this idea that the kingdom isn't going to come all at once. Instead, it will start small and grow then it will come in fullness. So that's what we're seeing here. Uh, Real quick side note, there's all different kinds of mustard uh, and all different kinds of mustard trees. In fact, I found one, if I was reading this correctly, this is some some kind of mustard tree 
and it grows to 25 feet tall. However, it's probably not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about here is something that's more like a garden plant or an herb. And it's not that this is really important. It it, it doesn't matter for the story. The important imagery is that you start with something that is small and it becomes something large. This is the point of the parable. That's the image that you can relate to and understand, and then you lay that over the kingdom so that you can understand it. So this mustard seed, it is the gospel, the the, the message of the kingdom, the, the, the now kingdom, right? And uh, uh, I should ask, sorry, who's sowing it, Samuel? Jesus. Yeah. And he's sowing it in a field or in a garden or whatever. Where's that? What is that? That's his audience. Yeah, the world or humanity, that kind of thing. The birds, this is an interesting one. Now, see if you can follow me here. The birds that rest on the branches of this mature mustard tree thing, whatever it is, that's the nations, the Gentiles. They attach themselves, in a sense, to the kingdom through Israel. It's as if Israel is this tiny mustard seed, the kingdom in Israel. It grows up and the nations come and rest in that tree. The tree, of course, is the mature kingdom. And because we can see now the birds are kind of resting in it, whatever, it's bringing shelter and comfort to the world. So we've done all these parables and I got to ask, Samuel, is any of this starting to sound familiar? I mean, it's... It seems kind of repetitive. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's saying the same thing over and over again. He's repeating himself. He's being redundant. (laughs) See what I did there? Jesus isn't offering farming or gardening advice or instructions, right? He's painting a picture of the kingdom. And it's important for us to see the parables for what they are, what they're saying, But it's also important to recognize in his day, in his time, this was radical teaching, at least with regard to their expectations. They thought the king was going to come and rule the world. And the king did come. And he said, guess what? It's not going to look like that. It's going to start small and grow over time. And you know what that's like. You get expectations in your head. You think you, I don't know, you either know something or understand something, whatever. Somebody has to say this, whatever this new and different thing might be, they have to say it over and over again before it ever seems to break through your preconceived ideas. And that's kind of what's happening here with Jesus when he's teaching through these parables, at least with these people and at that time. Now, I have to say, though, because we've screwed up the stories of the scriptures and and made them just so many things that they are not. That ironically, well, maybe we're having the same kind of experience today. What we're telling you is the the underlying meaning of these parables, the simple one-point message that he's trying to get across. It may sound completely foreign to you. So you may be having the same radical radical experience they were right now just listening to the podcast. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. I, I just, I'm drooling over that tidbit about the the birds and the trees so that they can make nests in its shade like that's a call back to Genesis with God promising Abraham that all of the nations of the earth are going to be blessed through you like 
Exactly. I mean, I mean, we've I think we've talked about it in a previous episode, like kingdom images, like everyone will have their own vine and fig tree where you'll like enter into shade. Like shade is an aspect of rest and blessing, and so that's a callback to Genesis. And I mean, all kinds of yep. psalms talk about like the nations are going to come flocking to God to find hope and rest and shade and everything so oh that's that was a good little nugget yeah now i i i know that i mean if we could get all the christians in america because those are the the kind of christians i'm familiar with to sit down and listen to us talking about the parables like this i know a huge portion of them would be thinking dude that's a weird interpretation what are you what are you talking about that's that doesn't make sense and what we're suggesting is that, no, actually, this is how to make sense of the parables. This is how to see and understand them better. And so I, I hope that you give it a chance, give this stuff a chance to kind of sink in, and let's just call it like that seed sown in your heart, and it sort of starts to grow up. Leave some room. We got more to do, but you're going to find out it's just going to be the same story over and over and over. Yeah, and I had forgotten to mention earlier, and this kind of goes into the timelessness of the scriptures and God working through the text, but back in Luke eight sixteen, with Jesus talking about the no one lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar, puts it underneath a bed, like, I feel like Jesus is like, not only is he speaking in his actual context in first century Judaism but I feel like he's also speaking to present time like especially like evangelical Christianity to say like guys like I don't teach these things to make people more confused about me like I'm my whole point is to bring people to myself yeah um, so that they can experience like liberty and redemption and stuff so yeah I just when you were going through that, it made me think like, wow, like people can take that in ju- like just as pertinent for today as it was 2000 years ago. Yeah. And that's a really good comment. We are focusing really, really hard on trying to say, listen, this happened 2000 years ago over in Israel in a different culture. It was, it was Israel. It was Jews under Roman oppression and occupation. And so Let's try and understand what was being said and what they were hearing. We do that because I think it makes the scripture so much more clear. But your point, of course, it can't stop there. Once you, you have some insight, some understanding, some, some vision of what the scriptures are telling you, well, you still got to turn that into your life. You got to walk this stuff out. Yeah, it's a good point. Well, after all of today's technical difficulties, which I don't know if the people listening to this podcast are going to know about them yet or not, we'll find out in editing, but I'm feeling like we got to be somewhere near done. Yeah, on their timestamps, it probably says an hour, but on our timestamps, it says almost an hour <laughs> and a half, if that gives you a hint of what happened. Yeah, it was a rough day, but you know what? It's okay. Nonetheless, we're calling it quits. Not just okay, okie dokie. Oh!
Thanks for listening to the Okie Dokie Most Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Be sure to leave a rating and a review to let us know how this content is impacting your life. You can find more information about the podcast at www.okidokimos.com. And if you'd like to get a hold of us, please send us an email at okidokimos at gmail.com. And until next time, we pray that you will do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. We'll see you all next week.